The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. All right, we're continuing our series on the attributes of God. So we're dealing with questions like these. What is God like? What's he actually like? Uh, we don't want to invent a pretend God. We want to know what the true God, the real God is like. Um, we're also asking, what does it mean to know him? And this is so important. Uh, as we're going to remember today, here's a, another reminder of it this morning I want to give to you. It's your apprehension of God that changes everything. Apprehension. You know that word to apprehend? What does to apprehend mean? I love words like these because it can have such different meanings. One is to apprehend a criminal. So you're, you're chasing this person down. You, you tackle him. You get him in a headlock. You put the handcuffs on him. Got him. He's been apprehended. The other idea is to understand an idea, to apprehend a concept. And so this word is powerful because it means more than just an idea in your mind. It means something like we got it. David talks like this in the passage this morning. What does he say about God's goodness? Verse eight. Do you see the verb? Oh, what? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, uh, how many of you know facts about ice cream? Anyone? It's cold. Uh, it's creamy. It has milk in it and sugar and uh, some other stuff. Oh, but wait, yeah. You can know about ice cream, and then it's another thing totally to go to your favorite ice cream place, dip the spoon down deep, right? Place it into your mouth and go, okay. Now, now which one knew ice cream? To apprehend it is to taste it. So we want to know things about God from his word so don't, we don't have a fake God. There are concepts about God, boundary. This is what God is like. But that's, that's only going part of the way. The authors of scripture don't just want you to know about God. They want us to know God. Taste and see that God is good. So we're in Psalm 34 this morning. Uh, David obviously wants his audience to apprehend, to taste that God is good. And that's what we want this morning, right? We want to know about his goodness. We want to taste it. So I want to walk through uh, three major parts with you. Number one, what does it mean that God is good? What does it mean? Number two, how do you taste it? And number three, what will it do to you if you taste it? What does it mean that God is good? Number two, how do you taste it? Number three, what will it do to you if you taste it? Okay, number one, what does it mean? What does it mean that God is good? Sometimes we think of goodness as like a list of, um, a list of things not to do. Are you a good person? I don't know. Do you steal? No, no, I don't steal. Do you lie? Well, I try not to. Um, are you as bad as some other really nasty people in your life? No. Then you're good. Uh, is that, is that, is that going to work for God's goodness? Does he, have a, does he have a list? He wakes up in the morning, he's like, eh, don't do these things. All right. But our, our, sometimes our use of the word is kind of wooden. It's kind of empty. It's not very exciting. That's nothing like God's goodness. 
Think of other ways we use the word good. I have a two-year-old right now who is illegally cute. He's wonderful. And when you give him some food, I love the way he says it right now. He'll, he'll say ice cream. He'll eat ice cream and go, oh, it's good. <laughs> yeah, it is, Ziki. It's good. And you're good. There's a, there's a quality of excellence. Quality of excellence. I had a friend once who got a gift certificate to, I think it's Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Have you ever been there? You don't go very often if you make normal people money, right? But he had a gift certificate. The stakes are like a million dollars. But he had a gift certificate, so he took me. I was honored. We go there, and they bring you the steak, and I had a bite, and I just went, oh. And every other steak since then has been somewhat spoiled to me. That was good. That was good. So there's goodness all around us. What is a good electrician like? They get it done right. It's a standard of excellence. What does a good steak taste like? It's good. There's a quality of excellence to goodness. That's part of goodness. Um, isn't it part of God's goodness? Well, if you look at it like that, he is goodness. Perfection, excellence. There's not only a, an, an excellence to goodness, there's also a generosity to goodness. Generosity is excellence that loves to give. It loves to share. It loves to satisfy others with its excellence. So goodness is, there's, there's an excellent quality, and I'm not just keeping it to myself, I'm spreading it out. Excellence for others. A generous excellence. So I, I like to think of God's goodness as excellent generosity. Perfection shared. Perfection given. Perfection enjoyed by others. And theologians, philosophers like to say things like, God is the most excellent and perfect and generous of all possible beings. It's part of the defi definition on what it means to be God, perfect goodness. You hear of this in scripture, look what John says in 1 John 1, 5. 1 John 1, 5, the apostle says, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you, God is what? Light, and in him there's no darkness at all. Perfect beauty, total goodness. Let me try to blow your mind with a quote from the Puritan uh, Thomas Manton. Got to read these things slowly. Try to grasp them. See what you think. Here's what he writes. God is originally good, good of himself, which nothing else is. For all creatures are good only by participation and communication from God. He is essentially good, not only good, but goodness itself. The creature's good is a given quality. In God, it is his essence. He is infinitely good. The creature's good is but a drop. In God, there is an infinite ocean or gathering together of good. He's eternally, unchangingly good. For he cannot be less good than he is, as there can be no addition made to him and so no subtraction from him. These are high and lofty words. But you see the idea that um, goodness belongs to God. Any other goodness you've ever seen or tasted was in a, in a way an echo of God's goodness or a gift of God's goodness. But he's the ultimate. So anything I have that's good is in some way a gift, right? 
It's in some way a gift. Anything I've ever enjoyed that was good was in some way a gift. God himself is the giver. He is ultimate goodness. That's what the Bible says. This is the the God the Bible proclaims. Now let's get our uh, skeptical hat on here. So we're saying, I'm saying, that God is so good that he is um, the ultimate in excellence and generosity. True goodness. Um, So honest question, does it always look to you like God is good? Does it always feel to you like God is good? This This is really the ultimate question. Read the book of Job, is God really good? Read, uh, oh, what did the snake say in that old story about the garden? His first question, is God really good? This is, this is the ultimate question for our hearts. And if we're honest, what do we see in the world all around us? You watch the news, you, you look at the experience of your life, is every single thing there an evidence to you that God is good? Or do some things make you wonder? Let's be honest, a lot of things make us wonder. You could even say most things could make you wonder. Massive injustice, unspeakable evil in the world. Even just in this room, the suffering some of us have had or are enduring. And we wonder, God, if you are excellent and generous, if your ultimate goodness and you like to share then why, and we could fill in the blanks for a long time, couldn't we? Then why this? Honest question when it comes to God's goodness. Well, I did not intend this message to be all about how to handle the problem of evil. Um, That takes a lot of time all on its own. I I wanna give you one thing that is helpful for me. One thing that's helpful for me, because I'll be honest, this question has kept me up late at night. You ever been up late at night, eyes blinking, and you're thinking of the evil and injustice and the suffering, and you're wondering, God, why? Where are you? This is what helps me. Number one, you have to ask, what do you mean by evil? What do you mean by evil? What, what is this thing? And I think you'll pr- if you answer that, you'll probably land with evil is something that ought not to be that should not be. So there's an ought or should aspect to evil. It should not be, it it ought not be. It's wrong, it's wrong. Okay. Here's another question for you. Is there anything, is there any practice or behavior that you would say is wrong for all people, all places, at all times, no matter what? Is there anything like that for you? In our day, right, a lot of thinkers are saying, hey, some of this is relative, it's relative culturally, it's relative historically. But even even the most uh, progressive on that end of the spectrum will usually say, but this, (laughs) always wrong, always wrong. Is there anything like that for you where it's always wrong? I'm gonna assume there probably is. Okay, what is that thing? Now, realize this, somewhere, someone out there in history totally disagrees with you. They think it's right. They think it's good. They think it should be done. So now what? You and this person who disagrees with you, you're sitting together and you're saying, this is, this is wrong, it's always wrong. And they're like, 
I don't think so. And then you say, but I feel like it's wrong. And they say, well, I feel like it's not. And you say, but it's absolutely wrong. And he says, who says? You feel like it's wrong? I feel like it's not. You see what's happening. In order to have absolute evil, there has to be an absolute standard. It has to go beyond, I feel like this is wrong. There has to be an absolute standard. And so if there's an absolute standard that can define absolute evil, guess what else there has to be? There has to be absolute good. There has to be absolute good for there to be such a thing as absolute evil. So this is what helps me sleep at night, one of the, one of the things. Is that the more I mourn over evil, the more it tells me there's good. Because I know this isn't just an act, this isn't just a feeling, it's not just an oops, it's absolutely evil. And that means, it has to mean there is absolute good. And who could possibly be the, the ultimate standard for absolute goodness? It's God. Only God could be absolute goodness. Only God can offer an absolute standard for everyone. So in a strange way, in a painful way, I think it's true that evil even proves the goodness of God from a very backwards way. Evil proves the existence of God, the goodness of God, because God has to be the standard of goodness. You know, there's, there's only so many cho choices about how you can think about this in a broken world like ours. There's only so many choices. I can think of, I, there's three main ones. You could probably come up with another one, but there's a few choices for how to handle this broken world. Number one, there's no God at all. There's no God at all, which means everything is what? Meaningless and chaos. Which means this stuff that you feel like is evil, that you want to say is evil, sorry, it's not actually evil. It just happens. You feel like it's evil, okay, but it's not actually evil. If you live in a universe like that, love, justice, goodness, it's just an evolutionary development thing that helps, but it's not absolute. That is not satisfying to me. There's a second way of looking at things. There is a God, and he's not good, whatever the God is like. Not good. Maybe well-meaning, not excellent, trying to help, can't, overwhelmed, the way you and I feel most of the time. I'm doing my best. There's a God out there who's not good, cruel, forgetful, not trustworthy. Uh, I don't know which universe is worse, the one that's chaos and meaninglessness or the one with a bad God. Either way, I'm not super excited. We're on our own. There is a third option, and that is the option of looking at things like this. There is a good God who has a plan for defeating evil. There is a good God who has a plan for defeating evil. And that's the God of the scriptures, isn't it? Isn't that the God of the Bible? He's a good God. Read chapters one and two of Genesis. What word are you gonna see over and over and over again? God made the stars and it was good. God made the trees and it was good. And God made animals and it was 
good, and the water is good, and the fruit is good, and it's all good, and God makes people, and it was very good. It's just good. A good God made everything good. Do you realize how much goodness is all around you? If you're gonna step into the worldview of the Bible, the Bible says Jesus upholds everything by the word of his power. Look at all these wonderful people around you. Anybody give you a hug today? Anybody smile at you today? Why? Well, they chose to and they wanted to and they were here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But really, it's all because God is good. Why is your heart beating right now? If you're gonna be in the biblical worldview, why is your heart beating right now? Because Jesus is saying, beat. And he's doing that because he's good. Why did we wake up today? Another sunny day with a cool breeze in Southern California. Did we all deserve that mess? All the millions of us Southern Californians? Is God like all these people are so holy and righteous? I just gotta give them another good day. They, they deserve it. Is that how God, I don't think so. I don't think so. Why is it so beautiful today? Because God is good. His goodness, you, you're just used to it. You just take it for granted. You know, one benefit, I think, of a sick day is you realize how many healthy days you had. And you realize how good, how so good that was. How many of those did you deserve? How many did you get? I like how N.D. Wilson puts it, the goodness of God and creation. I like how he uses these words. Listen to this. N.D. Wilson says, our father wove glory and joy into every layer of this world. He wove secrets that would tease us into centuries of risk-taking before we could unlock them. Flight, glass, electricity, chocolate. Can I get an amen? amen? He buried gold deep but scattered sand everywhere and from the sand came all the wealth of our own age. Our God made things simple and funny Skin bags full of milk swinging beneath cows. And also hard. Skim the cream, add sugar from cane grass, shards of vanilla bean from faraway lands. Surround with water cold enough to have expanded its molecules and become solid. Now stir. Keep stirring. Now taste. And worship. True? God is good. He's good, the beauty, the beauty that is in all of creation. James 1.16, James says this, don't be deceived, beloved brothers, beloved sisters. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is so good. He's so good. So why is there evil? Why is there brokenness? The Bible's answer is not that God isn't good, it's that we don't like the God who is good, right? We have turned away. We have tainted things, we have twisted things. We have brought the curse in our sin. We have taken good things and rotted them out, corrupted them taking mouths that are meant to encourage and ripped each other apart. 
but God is still good. And evil is on a limited time. And one day he'll end it. He'll end it because he's good. So what does it mean that God is good? It means that he is excellent and generous. At least that. It means more, I'm sure. But excellent and generous. And the problem of evil, I don't think, is able to deny God's goodness. But this is kind of David's story, isn't it? We'll get into Psalm 34 here. You're like, were you preaching Psalm 34? Yeah. This is David's story, okay? God is good, is what he's saying. Full of excellent generosity. Now, a little bit of the backstory. Psalm 34 has a line above it. It was talking about David when he had changed his behavior before Abimelech. Now, true or false, David thinks God is good. Did you read these words? Yeah, he does, okay? Next question, true or false, David always had it easy. False. Did you ever think it was kind of like a, kind of torture for David to get anointed king like a million years before he actually became king? In, in, this, in the backstory beside, behind Psalm 34, King Saul unjustly hates David so badly that David thinks it's safer to go live with his enemies, the Philistines, than to stay home. He has been chased mercilessly, and Saul has tried to murder him, even though he does not deserve it. So would you go ahead and rank that in the easy circumstances or the difficult circumstances? Okay? So true or false, you do have someone who has suffered here saying, God is good. Yeah? And he's talking about here how God saved him from this situation. He ran from Saul, lived with the Philistines. The Philistines said, hey, aren't you David who's killed a lot of us? <laughs> and David's trapped between a rock and a hard place. There's no way out. There's no way out. And this psalm is all about how, you know what? God got me out. He got me out. He delivered me. He's good. Do you guys have a story like that in your life? God got you out? You're still here. You, mu you must have one. You thought it was all over. Something was gonna explode. Something did explode. Um, but you made it. He got you through. He got you through. That's, that's what this psalm is really about. God's so good. Look at verses one to three. One to three, I think you could say David is, uh, he's saying, celebrate with me. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continue to be in my mouth. So when does David wanna talk about how good God is? Always, never stops. It never stops. He boasts in the Lord. And then what does he want uh, his audience to do? Verse three. Join in, will you? Will you magnify the Lord with me? Let's look at how great he is. Will you exalt his name with me? It's not enough just to do this by myself in my devotional time. I want you guys to do this with me. Look how great God is. Look how good he is. Wouldn't you say he's apprehended God's goodness? He's tasted it. He wants to sing. He wants to talk about it. Celebrate with me, verses one to three. Why? Look at verses four to seven. Look at the verbs that God did. Look at the actions that God accomplished for David. I sought the Lord. What did God do? He answered me. What else did he do? He delivered me from all my fears. Even my anxiety he's saving me from. Verse six, this poor man cried, the Lord heard him, saved him. Verse seven, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. God is right next to me. He's set up his tent right next to me. He's with me. He's so good. Celebrate with me. God has delivered me. Look down at verse 19. David says here, many are the afflictions of the righteous, 
but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Uh, Put that one in your pocket. We have this idea, well, if God is good, his people won't have any afflictions. I don't know what religion that is. It's not Christianity. Verse 19, many are the what? The afflictions of the who? Righteous. But the Lord, what does he do? He delivers him out of them all. So God is good, excellent generosity. How does it show itself in this broken world? It's not in the absence of trouble. It's his deliverance from trouble. It's not in the absence of trouble. It's a deliverance from trouble. All right, how do we taste it? Look at verses eight to 10. Taste and see the Lord is good. Now David's gonna make some promises here. I don't know, do you believe these? Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. All right. Verse nine, fear the Lord, you of saints, for those who fear him, what are the next four words? Three words. Those who fear him, what? Have, no, lack. True or false? Those who fear him have, no, lack. Verse 10, the young lions suffer want and hunger. Why do you think he brings up young lions? Well, if you're gonna try to find some beastly, powerful thing, what's more beastly and powerful than a young lion? (laughs) Even they have lack, and they're about the strongest thing on the block. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You believe this? Let's be fair, let's be honest. How many of you feel like in your life somewhere you have some lack, you are lacking something? <laughs> come on, be honest, don't be so spiritual. No, I got, I got everything, come on. I, I, I listen to you talk, we hear one another. How do you feel? I'm exhausted, I'm depressed, I'm sad, I'm poor, I'm frustrated, I'm lonely, I'm lacking, <laughs> I'm lacking. I'm unhealthy, I'm lacking. I'm scared, I'm lacking. And then David says, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. What are you supposed to do with this? You know, you can either be fake and be like, oh, I have it all. We're on the inside, we're a liar. Or maybe there's another way to think about it. Is David here saying that anybody who loves God and follows him is always gonna be rich and healthy forever and never die? (laughs) Of course not. The backstory shows that's not what he's thinking. He says in verse 19, many are the afflictions. So he can't be saying that if you know God, your life will always be perfect. Of course it's not what he's saying. But still, he uses words like these. Have no lack. I guess we have to ask this question. Is there anything you could have that if you had it, no matter whatever else you didn't have, it would be like you had everything? Is there anything like that? Is there anything so great and so wonderful that if you had it, no matter what else you didn't have, it would be like you had everything? That's what David is saying. He's saying God is so good and his goodness is especially known and felt in that he gives you, what's the best thing he can give you? This will test your theology. What's the best thing God can give you? God, I'd know you loved me if you gave me 
money. Because everybody with money is happy. Are you awake? God, I know you would love me if you gave me health because everyone who has health is happy. Are you awake? God, if you gave me someone to love me, everyone who's married is happy. <laughs> God, God, if you gave me, what is it? What is on your list? God, if you loved me, you'd give me this. I, we, we aim too low. God knows what's good, and here's how God sees it, and it's the honest truth. God, if you loved me, if you're gonna spoil me, if you're gonna blow me away, the best thing you could give me is yourself. It would be yourself. We'd be friends. Your face would be on me, my face would be on you. We'd be together. Your eye would be on me, your hand would be on me. I could know that things that were in my life, uh, you, you had control over the timing on them, that you had a plan for what was happening in them, and that you wouldn't leave me, you wouldn't leave me at the bottom forever, but that you'd deliver me. If I had you, God, and I knew I had your commitment to me, I'd have everything. That is exactly what David is saying. Look at verse 18. I love this verse. Verse 18, the Lord is what? Near to who? The brokenhearted. The brokenhearted. There's an irony here. When you're brokenhearted, what do you feel about God sometimes? He's far. He forgot me. He's gone. David says, hey, no, 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 no. God is good. God is good in that when you're brokenhearted, where is he? He's right here. He's right here. He's right here. He's near to the brokenhearted. Saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And then he gives you verse 20. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. What do you think that means? David was a warrior, ancient world warrior. So what is he doing all the time? He's like running and wrestling and riding horses and jumping off cliffs and sword fighting people. I mean, legit, this is crazy. Do you ever think he broke a finger? Do you think any of his mighty men have broken noses? I mean, I, I live the softest life in Orange County and I've had stitches twice in the last six months. The Lord keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Uh, what, do you, what do you think that means? None of, no Christians, if you're truly a Christian, you've never had a broken bone. Right? A weird cult we could start up on this. It's gotta be poetic. It's gotta be poetic. Poetic about what? I don't know. I, I, we all have to kind of work from how this feels to us. Your bones are like your structure your core, right? A, a cut can heal. I don't know. But it seems to be saying like things are gonna get you, but they're never gonna get you. Things are gonna hurt you, but they're never gonna overwhelm you to where you're totally lost. 
Things can look bad, but you'll never be utterly forsaken. You'll never be to the point where there's no more hope and I can't bring you out of it. It'll never be over for you. I can save you from anything. That's what David is saying. He saves his people from anything. He gets them through it. Paul writes this in uh, Philippians. I pray that God will deliver me and keep me uh, in no, from in no way being ashamed. And in context, you know what it means? He says, God's gonna deliver me from this. But in context, Paul is, is uh, wondering if he's gonna get his head cut off for being a Christian. And so Paul, Paul, for Paul, deliverance means I'm gonna get my head cut off with a smile on my face for God's glory. That's what deliverance means for Paul. He's gonna get me through this and I'm gonna do it for him and then I'm gonna wake up on the other side and Jesus is gonna give me a hug. That's deliverance. Not even death can get me. That's what it means. You know, there's an echo of this phrase in the New Testament. Do you remember it? Not one of his bones will be broken. Uh, it's in the Gospel of John. And uh, in context, it's John 19, and Jesus is on the cross. This brutal thing called the cross. And you know how you had to keep, keep at it when you're on the cross. Uh, you've got nails through your feet, nails through your wrists. And you have to, it's brutal. It's totally brutal. You have to right push up on the nails through your feet and pull up on the nails through your wrists so that you can breathe. And then you slump down again. And you see how long you can last. It's, ho it's horrible. And so when the people are kind of over it, all right, what do they do to finally kill you? They break your legs. So guess what you can't do anymore? You can't push up. And so you finally drown in your lung fluid. It's disgusting. <laughs> it's disgusting. And uh, in John 19, it's almost the Sabbath, and hey, we gotta keep our religious rules, right? Even when we're murdering people on crosses. Uh, can you make sure these guys are dead so we can be done with this, get them down before the Sabbath, you know, so we can worship God? Look at, look at how John records it, John 19, 33. When they came to Jesus, and they saw he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Verse 35, he who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. He knows he's telling the truth that you may also believe. And here's, here's for our part this morning. Look at verse 36. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. And what does it say? Not one of his bones will be broken. If, if this is what John has in mind, doesn't it seem like a contradiction at first? David says, my God's always gonna save his people. He's always gonna deliver them. Not one of my bones will be broken. He's always gonna get me through. And John says, look at Jesus. He just got crucified and not one of his bones were broken. Does he look like he was delivered to you? And we're like, John, I don't think you quite got Psalm 34. David's talking about deliverance. We're looking at Jesus being forsaken. And I think John would say, that's right. Walk with me, John might say, walk with me. Did you read chapter 20? Did you read further? Did you keep going? What happens to Jesus? Is he left there forsaken by his father? <laughs> he walks out of the tomb. He's delivered. 
He lacks no good thing. You think Jesus lacks anything today as he's sitting on his throne? Is he known by lack? Not at all. He lacks no good thing. And then this idea, wait, so there was Jesus. Why was he on the cross, John might say to you? Why was he there? Because we haven't been good like God. We've hated his goodness. We've twisted his goodness. Everything good he's given us to us, we've used it, abused it, demeaned others with it. We can't, we're not safe with good things. We wreck them, we twist them. And what is a, God, a good God supposed to do with people like that? He says later in verse 21 of Psalm 34, affliction will slay the wicked, slay. That'll be the end of the story for those who endure in hating a good God and hating his goodness. So why is Jesus on the cross? You know the answer, don't you? It was for the evil that I've committed. It was for the evil that you've committed. He wasn't delivered from the cross because we deserve not to be delivered. In fact, he was not delivered from the cross so that we could be the ones who always say, our bones won't be broken. God will never forget us. God will never let us go. He'll never abandon us because Jesus was abandoned for me, right? He'll never forsake me because Jesus was forsaken for me. He'll never forget me. Jesus was forgotten for me. Oh, this psalm, it looks right to the gospel. It looks right to the gospel. Look at what these verses say. Verse 22. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be what? Condemned. Condemned. There's this, I I deserve to be condemned. I'm not good. I have not been good. But if we take refuge in him, none of those who take refuge in him, and who's the him ultimately? The Lord Jesus. None of us who take refuge in Jesus will be condemned. So nobody can point and say, oh, you're not good, you're evil, you're wicked, that you inhabit land if you're in Christ. Why? Who answers for you? The goodness I look to is not my own. It's his. In him, I'm forgiven. In him, I'm bought. I'm good. In him, I'm redeemed. He buys the life of his people. And listen, if you, if you doubt that God is good, I think we all do. Where, where's the most surefire place to land? David tastes God's goodness and God... Um, redeeming him and saving him, even though he doesn't deserve it. He tastes God's goodness and God giving David himself and always committing himself to David. Where do we look to know that's true for us? Where can you look? Look at the cross. Look at the cross. If goodness is excellent generosity, what's the most excellent thing the Father has? Is there anything more excellent than Jesus? The radiance of the Father's glory? Is there anything more beautiful than that? And what did the Father do with the most excellent thing he knows and has? 
He gave him up for who? For you. For you. I love you all. I really do. Don't ask me to give my son to you. Guess what the answer will be? No. Any of you given yours? What has God given you? What has he given you? What has he given you? Himself through his son. That is goodness par excellence. How can you get better? How can you get higher? He's given his son. His son paid for your sins. His son rose from the dead. His son gives you his righteousness. His son earns your adoption. In his son, well, Jesus told you how to pray. What should you call God now that you're in Christ? Our Father. Our Father. So God has said in Christ, I'm committed to you. My face is toward you. I'll never forget you. I'll never abandon you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I am yours. I encamp around you. I'm watching. I'm in charge, and I'm not going to leave you in the depths. I'll bring you out. You can trust me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You taste it ultimately by looking at the cross, and you taste it by coming, David says, humbly. Humbly look at the cross. Do you see humility in this uh, psalm, Psalm 34? Look at verse two. Find it with me, will you? Psalm 34, verse two. My soul makes his boast in the Lord. Let the who? The humble hear and be glad. Verse four, I what? I sought the Lord. I went after him. A sense of need, right? Verse five. Those who what? Look to him. Again, it's a sense of need. Verse six, this who? Come on, what does he call himself? Verse six, this poor man. This poor man cried. What does he have to offer? Nothing. He's humble. Look at verse seven. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who what? Fear him. And then it says several times, take refuge in him. There's a humility that says, I'm not enough. Pride won't be able to see the goodness of God. Pride will not be able to see the goodness of God. Humility will see it. I need you. I need you. And then you'll find, you can find at the cross especially, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Come humbly. Come humbly. Can you taste and see God's goodness? In creation, yeah. In who God is in himself, yeah. But especially, especially in the giving of his son. Taste and see, he is good. Well, let's end here. What, is it, what happens when you taste it? What happens when you taste it? Look at verse 11 to 14. David says, God is so good. I've tasted it. Taste it with me, praise him with me. Then he says these things, verse 11. Come, O children, what does he want you to do? Listen, listen up. I'm gonna teach you something. And what does he wanna teach you? I'm gonna teach you the fear of the Lord. What does it mean when you have an awe for God and his goodness? Verse 12. Uh, what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? I love questions like that. How many of you want to enjoy goodness? 
Anyone? And you assume everybody in his class is like, ooh, me, right? Is there anybody who's like, no? You want to see good? Okay, here we go. Verse 13. What should you do? Keep your tongue from evil. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. God is good. What did, we, what did I say that was anyway? You could probably phrase it better. I said it was excellent generosity. Excellent generosity. Isn't David here saying, if you taste and see that God is good, guess what you'll wanna be? Good. You'll wanna be good like him. Generous with your excellence. Not just a list of stuff you don't do. Generous with your excellence. How does it start with your mouth? Are mouths good or bad? They're good. They're good, but what do, what do human beings, what do we tend to do with good things? We twist them. Have you ever had somebody encourage you? Come on, have you ever had somebody encourage you and it changed, it changed your day, it changed your life? Somebody spoke kindly to you. Somebody said, I forgive you. Somebody said, I love you. Somebody said, you can do it. Somebody said, I'm here for you. You messed it up. You're expecting to get smacked and beat around and somebody showed you grace. Somebody spoke words of kindness to you and it, it made all the difference. Look at Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give, give what? Grace to those who hear. Isn't grace, grace and goodness are really, they're close. Grace is love that you don't deserve. God is good to the undeserving. God shares his excellence, his beauty. Let your mouth be like that. When you taste God's goodness, you want to be good like him. And guess where it starts? For David, it starts right here. Why does it start right here? Because right here is the outpouring of right here. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So this week, if you've tasted God's goodness, what do you wanna be looking at? Your mouth. Your attitudes. Your social media your texts. Is it generous excellence coming through on those things? Is it God's forgiveness, God's grace, God's encouragement, God's truth, God's building up? Do people hear it in you? Goodness flowing from your mouth. If you've tasted it, you'll be transformed. Not only that, David says, verse 14, such a small verse, such a big verse. Turn away from evil and do good. That's kind of simple, right? You already knew that, didn't you? Is this a newsflash to anybody? You're like, we're not supposed to do evil? If you've tasted God's goodness, you'll turn away from evil. That's different. That's different. What is evil? What is it? Again, it's a denial of the good. It's a twisting of the good. It's a, it's a cheapening of the good every time. 
Turn away from that. How do you turn away from evil? This is so big for your hearts. You know why you did evil in the moment you did it? Here's why. You wanted to, right? You wanted to. And the reason you wanted to is because you had, a, you had an apprehension of God in that moment. And your apprehension of God in that moment is that he and his law and his presence are not good enough for you. True? That's why you did it. He's not good. What he said is not trustworthy. He's not gonna vindicate me. I've gotta vindicate me. He's not gonna get justice. I've gotta get revenge. His commands don't make sense in my context. I've gotta, he's not good. I've gotta take over. And when David says, look, I've got nothing. I can't take over. He's good. I'm gonna find my refuge in him. I'm gonna taste and see that he is good. And when you're convinced, when you're satisfied in God's goodness, that's the way you turn from sin. You need a superior satisfaction to turn away from evil. God is better than that. That's what your heart has to say. Taste and see that God is good. Speak what is good. Turn away from what is evil. Do what is good. Boy, it's a broad, a broad thing. Do good. Do good. How can you do good explicitly this week? David also adds, seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. Do you know what peace is? You know the he, anybody know the Hebrew word for peace here? Shalom, okay. A lot of times we use the word peace to mean a lack of fighting, which that does have a value. <laughs> or peaceful usually means a lack of noise, sort of. But it comes, sometimes it means a lack. Shalom is much more rich than that. Shalom means things like thriving, human thriving, uh, justice, rightness in our relationships, at work, in nations, in neighborhoods, in families. This is, the, this is such a broad and such a powerful mandate for you. Seek peace. Seek everyone around you. Seek their thriving. I didn't include the scripture in the slides today, but several times in the New Testament, God's goodness has shown that he gives rain and crops to those who don't love him. A harvest of food all around the world, all around the world. How many people are gonna eat today? Some people aren't, we mourn over that. But a lot of people are gonna eat today. Are you gonna eat today? We're gonna eat today. It's God's goodness, and he's working to bless his creation all the time. What would we be like if we were like him? Does God only work to bless those who love him as far as food and crops go? Is he only feeding Christians today? Not close. If we were like him, wouldn't we have a heart of generous excellence trying to pour it out in every aspect of our lives? I, I need to think more about this. I need to think more about this. Are you good at work? Generous excellence. Um, are we good relationally? Where, 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 is, where, where are injustices and poverties and lack that we can fill like God fills? Where are people lost that we can bring home? Where are people hurting that we can help his goodness in us would look like that, wouldn't it? 
it would look like that. There would be an impression sometimes about God's people that they just were there to, what's the word you wanna use? Bless you. I wanna be like that. Those who taste God's goodness will be like that. God is good, amen? You taste it by humbling yourself specifically towards giving of his son in the cross. That taste will transform you. It will transform you. His goodness will enable you to turn from evil, seek and do good, change the way you talk, change the way you live. I'll end with this quote from N.D. Wilson. We should strive for holiness, but holiness is a flood, not an absence. Does your sun shine warming the faces of others? Does your rain green the world around you? Do you end your days with anything resembling a sunset? Do you begin with the dawn? You see how he's talking about God's goodness every day? Then he says this, at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. When we are truly like him, the same will be said of us. Let's pray. God, you are so good, especially in giving your son. Lord, help us to taste it, to be amazed by it, to just wanna erupt in praise to you for it. Lord, we thank you for your goodness in the cross that um, we've been accepted in your sight. There's no condemnation for us. We're loved by such a good God, a good father. And Lord, we pray that it would transform us, that we would be good like you, generous with our excellence, morally pure, lifting up those around us, a legitimate blessing to the world, that everybody could say, what are these people about? And then that we could say, we have a good God. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.